Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Wouldn't it be cool if there was a Netflix for finance? Well, there is. It's called Real Vision, and it gives you unprecedented access to some of the most respected names in finance. Watch interviews with legends like Kyle Bass, Jeff Gunlock, Stanley Drunkenmiller, and many, many more. If you want to be part of the Real Vision revolution, visit realvision.com slash WSO. Hello and welcome. I'm Alex Grodnick, and this is Moving Up, a podcast about secrets to success, struggles along the way, and life in general. Today on the pod, Bryce Galen, the founder and CEO of Zero which is a debit card with credit card style rewards, a very slick app, and a cool metal card. Just a really interesting startup. Bryce and I have a pretty interesting conversation about the current state of fintech, what it's like starting a bank from scratch, and the ups and downs of his journey. Before we get into the interview, I'll give you a quick update on PayClub, since I haven't talked about it in a few weeks. Things are going really, really well. Everyone always told us during the dark and lonely startup days that, oh yeah, one day things just sort of, they switch over and starts going your way. Investors start believing in you and users start coming on. It's like, wow, we had two years in the dark, the world telling us we would never succeed just to give up. Then some light, it starts to peek in and, and then the sun just tears the whole fucking roof off and investors and users, they start pouring in. I'm probably simplifying things a bit, but what I'm saying is that PayClub is doing pretty well right now. And it's funny how quickly the world forgets about the downtimes. All you hear about in the press is two guys in a garage, make a product, raise millions of dollars, change the world. You don't get to hear about the struggle, the backstory that goes into it, how close you are just to outright failure. But that's the world, and that's the way it works. You're nothing until you're something. But everything worthwhile, it takes time. John Lennon said, it took us a lifetime to become an overnight success. I've said that quote before, but I really like it. You see people on Instagram doing these crazy things, but that's all fake. There are no shortcuts to getting there. Sure, some paths, they're quicker, shorter than others, but they all take sacrifice, hard work, and determination. So keep grinding. The universe rewards people that work hard and genuinely are good people. That's it. Let's get into the interview. Bryce, welcome to the pod, man. Thanks. Good to be here, Alex. You and I have been like talking for a long time. So I was like, I was just telling you, I built this San Francisco trip around uh, getting you to come on the pod. So I've been really looking forward to this. You've got an awesome, awesome company, Zero. We'll get into everything about Zero and how it's a bank, it's a credit card, it's a debit card, all sorts of cool, uh, cool stuff. But like we always do, we got to begin early days. Maybe after you've got our diapers. Somewhere in between college and first job, something like that. It's funny because I actually don't come from a banking background, at least not in the retail banking sense. Um, I started out, I grew up in Tennessee. Um, I actually played bluegrass fiddle, a little known fact. And um, so I started out working in investment banking, like many of your listeners made. And um, it was a good experience, but I kind of knew that I had 
a little bit of a, a calling towards entrepreneurship and tech. Um, and um, so when the opportunity presented itself, I, I made my way out to the West Coast and um, I, I started working at Zynga where I did product development for a pretty well-known game. You may have heard of Words with Friends. I can't take credit for, you know, starting it, but uh, I wish I could. It's, it's been a, a great app, but I worked there for a couple of years and really learned the ins and outs of great product and um, experiment design and user insights and all of that. And uh, it was great. So you started your career at, it was Wells, right? And investment bank. I started at the time it was actually Wachovia Securities. Okay. Wachovia. Yeah. Then, uh, then Wells bought Wachovia. you know, I, I made, I made my way out into tech, uh, you know, some years later. Um, and what was that transition like? Like, I mean, that Wachovia job, I mean, that's a prestigious job. Society says this is, this is awesome. You thought probably it was going to be great going into it. And then was it, was it right for you? Was it not right for you? Like, how'd you, how was it? Well, yeah. So to really dig back into it, um, when I was at Wachovia, the strengths for the bank were in large balance sheet, you know, real estate, they, they were great in real estate. So I actually went into that realm. I did worked on some real estate M&A transactions there um, as an investment banker, and then went into a real estate private equity role at Fidelity Investments in Boston. Um, and so it was it was amazing experience. I got to travel around the country, you know, got a lot of hotel points and, uh, you know, learned the ins and outs of, um, you know, financial statements and all that. But there was uh, the crisis, which happened, uh, you know, back in 2008. And, you know, so my group got shut down. I decided to kind of take a step back. And uh, that, that's when I recognized, you know, I really wanted to do something more entrepreneurial. And, um, and, and I started down, you know, the path that led me eventually to, to here. Right. I mean, so that, that had to be scary, like, you know, having your group get shut down. I mean, you're going from investment banking to private equity, like you're on like a pretty, you know, good trajectory path and then it kind of gets derailed. Was it scary? Uh, it was a little scary. Yeah. But, you know, I, I wasn't too intimidated by it because I knew there were other opportunities out there. You know, I knew that the, um, you know, there were, there were lots of good things to do. And, I think the reason that I decided after the the crisis to get into you know entrepreneurship, I actually started a this is crazy story. I got to bring it up. So I started a bar trivia company um, right after that in New York. I was living there with one of my college buddies, and um, I started doing bar trivia kind of for fun, just as something to do. And it it took off, and it, it kind of grew into. Um, the largest bar trivia outfit in the New York area, Trivia Trist, it was called. Um, so I had uh, 1.50 hosts like working for me and I had a payments platform that I built and advertised. And, and so all that was great. Sold that to the, the largest bar trivia uh, outfit in the country called Geeks Who Drink. Believe it or not, you know, there's a, a little industry there. And um, so I did that. But um, what kind of got me down that path is just knowing that to really thrive in the you know investment banking world, it's all about cutting these cutthroat deals and about um, you know just aggressive negotiations and all that. And I knew that you know I could kind of do that sometimes, but it, it wasn't really my core personality. It wasn't going to be my key strength. Um, you know, I'm not like this Trump style you know uh, you know wheeler dealer type guy. And so I, I really you know, the more introverted side of me was like, I, I, I like looking at data and, you know, drawing insights from 
uh, studying behavior through another lens than, than, um, just being, you know, uh, in, in the, uh, in the negotiation all the time. And so that's what made me look at tech. And at the time, you know, um, there were other great companies taking off, you know, Facebook was taking off. Um, it was a little earlier for Uber, but I saw these other early success stories coming out of the Valley. And I thought, Hey, you know, there, there's opportunity there. It's a fit for my, you know, personality. And, you know, I had a CS background as well from undergrad. So I said, Hey, um, you know, let me, let me go West and sort of see what's out there. And, um, it's been, been a great decision for me. Yeah. So how do you get that job at, uh, at Zynga where you're like selling it as like, Hey, I started this bar, uh, trivia business and now you're like in games and I'm, this is, this is, there's some similarities here or they liked your investment banking skill set, your CS background. I'm like, what was it? Well, it all kind of came together. I mean, it turns out, I didn't really realize it at the time, but when I was, um, building trivia trust, I was, doing a lot of product management type stuff <laughs> without really knowing it. Um, like for instance, I would have trivia hosts, uh, who would run these games and they would show up to the bar late or they would cancel without telling anyone. And I don't know if you ever played bar trivia, but there's nothing worse than getting together with all your buddies and kind of going down to a bar and being all psyched out up for a game. Uh, and, and then, you know, you order drinks, whatever. And then all of a sudden the uh, bar owner, bar manager says, sorry, trivia is canceled. It's a letdown, right? So I figured out how to um, incentivize hosts to be on time and to run the game, created like some uh, penalties and incentives um, where, you know, the host would actually have to pay. Their, their pay would be docked if they canceled last minute. Um, they could cancel like within, you know, say uh, more than 48 hours ahead of time. And that was cool. Um, but the closer to the event start time they canceled, the more of a penalty there uh, actually came out of their pay. And um, it would go to another host who would pick it up. And so an email blast would go out to all the different hosts in the system would say, hey, like 30 bucks, 50 bucks, whatever, up for grabs if you pick up this event at, you know, bar none in the East Village, or what was one of my big uh, places I went. So that actually worked really well. And, and I had dashboards with metrics, like who cancels the most and who draws in the most teams and all that stuff. And so I was building this stuff, optimizing and figuring out how to solve business problems. And I didn't even know, and I was coding it myself because I was kind of a one-man band um, at the time. And I didn't realize that um, those skills were valuable to you know, much bigger apps and, you know, much bigger platforms. But when I went out and uh, actually moved to the West Coast because of a girlfriend, uh, a girl I was dating at the time, um, you know, she had an offer to come out here and I kind of tagged along, not knowing what I would exactly do. Um, but when I interviewed at Zynga, it was just a great fit. It was like, hey, this guy knows games, he knows product, he knows CS, he knows finance. Like they kind of picked up on that and uh, gave me a great role there. And then I was able to put um, a lot of my skills into action, um, you know, with a game that had millions of users every day. Yeah, you're right, Bryce. It's like a, it's a good story because like nothing was really intentional here, but it, all the pieces kind of came together for you. Yeah, that's right. I love it. Very, 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 uh, very authentic. So you're working on um, Words of Friends, and how long are you are you, are you there for? Uh, I was there for about two years. Yeah. Yeah. And was, was it a good experience for you? Uh, I mean, it was amazing. It was really cool. Aside from the fact that it's fun to work at a game company, um, I liked Words with Friends in particular because 
it was a game and it was fun, but it was also an app. It was a communication tool. Um, there were so many great insights. Um, and it wasn't, it, it wasn't like a game that was played by a few zealots, uh, that was just really this fringe population of people that would all spend a lot of money. That was just a concentrated, uh, thing. It was a very broad based, um, game that, you know, grandma would play with her granddaughter or, you know, uh, mother and son or people just keeping in touch generally. Um, and so you had this way to, um, sort of look at how people would chat, how people would interact, how they would respond to push notifications, how they would, uh, you know, how many words per day they would play or whatever words with the big metric we would, we would, uh, you know, optimize for. And, um, I learned so much about user behavior and about how people think and how people, um, you know, like to, um, you know, interact with, with an app on their phone. And I knew that I could, you know, apply that to other great apps in order to make them better in order to, um, you know, build good product. Right. That's, that's really interesting. So, um, okay. So you're at Zynga for a couple of years. It's good. You're like, you're using all of the skill sets that you've, you know, worked out in, in your span of your not that long career so far to, uh, to get, and now you're putting the veil of like a, well-oiled tech company on top of it, like how optimizing and um, optimizing for words. That's words interesting. Played. Yeah. Yeah. All that I, stuff. I, I, exactly. I, I, I like that one. Um, Cause every then, word you played, we showed you an ad uh, and video ads were very profitable. Yeah, it's like, like one page. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So are you thinking like, I like working at a bigger tech company. I like being my one man show. Like where, where are you falling on the spectrum of this? Well, you know, I, I liked it, um, but I kind of also knew that there were other opportunities out there beyond games. And um, one of the strengths of Zynga was also one of its weaknesses in that um, they would acquire these games made by you know, smaller studios and they, you know, you didn't want to mess them up too much. They would optimize, but... Um, you know, the core UI for, for Words with Friends was already years old by the time I got there. And so I would look around and see brand new apps coming out with these fresh, slick looks. You know, I think at the time um, it was iOS 7 maybe was coming out or iOS 6, 7. And um, it brought like, you know, flat design and a whole new, um, uh, you know, design paradigm to the table. And so I thought, uh, gosh, you know, I'd love to work on something, something modern and something that um, really brings all the best, you know, user interaction uh, elements to the table. And that wasn't most Zynga games because they were, they were kind of relics of, of the, uh, when they were acquired. And so um, I also, you know, saw other industries being revolutionized by um, great mobile experiences like you know, Uber and Lyft were emerging at the time. And, you know, I, I thought like, how can I apply, I could apply these skills to a broader, um, a broader type of app and probably do something even more impactful. Yeah, that makes sense. And so was there like, you know, the, the moment when you saw this problem or are you like having ideas in the shower? Like are you just thinking about new startup ideas, thinking about new de design ideas. Like what was the ideation 
Well, you know, I thought about a few different things I could do. Worked e- even like just briefly on a couple little projects, but I was always I, I would always come back to this idea of of banking and cards because you know money is is a central you know aspect of our lives. It you know, helps us buy things and put food on the table and you know take care of all our needs. So everybody's gotta gotta you know think about their money. They gotta get a paycheck and spend it and save. Um, and the experiences on mobile for doing that were just terrible. Um, and I think there's still a lot to be desired with many um, of the large banking players. And it wasn't just the mobile apps that were no no good. It was the whole banking system. You know, why do I have to, you know, what I would do is I would get my paycheck in checking and then I would transfer, you know, some to investments and then some to savings and try to earn a better return while I, you know, could. And then I would do spending on a credit card to get the rewards because credit cards get great cash back with the um, you know interchange fees that they earn. And then at the end of the month, I would auto pay my credit card, but I'd you know need to just make sure that I had enough in my checking account to kind of make sure the auto pay went through. So it was a little bit of a game in and of itself of um, moving money around and just kind of keeping tabs on things. And, and that was fine for a while. But um, over you know, over time, I would get more and more cards because there's a new card out that had a better offer on gas or groceries or restaurants. And so I had like 10 cards and I'm like using these different apps and spreadsheets and trying to optimize everything. And it just it gets to be so uh, tiresome. And finally, at a certain point, I was like, all right, I can't keep up anymore with what the latest you know card is that I'm supposed to use. And, you know, the, the apps are pretty... Uh, you know, they leave something to be desired. And so I thought, what if I could just design a simple, beautiful app that would um, allow me to have one card that ga- gave me the highest cashback rate across the board. My deposits would earn the highest interest rate and I wouldn't have to play the games of moving all the money around. It would just, you know, work in one spot. And and of course I still have my investment portfolio um, and, and, you know, if I had a mortgage or student loans, that would be aside from it. But day to day spending wise, um, I felt that there was a lot of room to build a better experience. And so I set about researching and trying to figure out if that was possible and, you know, how to do it. And that's really where zero was born. I mean, that's a you're right. Like, that's the way it should be. And you see the way it is. And there's all these like huge old companies that have done checking accounts and savings accounts and credit cards and debit cards. And it's like, Okay, great. Like I get why that makes sense for your business, but like, how does that make sense for me? That's not how I think about things. I think about it and how you're describing it. Like I have some money. I want to spend some money and save some money. I want to like make it easy for me. Um, but these are like, that's like a pretty big problem to solve. So like, how'd you start out? Did you like, were you like Googling? Like, can I start a bank? Like, uh, <laughs> I definitely <laughs> did Google that yeah. <laughs> at least, uh, at least a few times. Um, well, so it's a really tough space to get your arms around because a lot isn't written down. Um, and the big banks kind of like that, you know, Chase isn't going to open up our bank of America, their playbook and just, you know, put it online for everyone on Reddit to see. Um, <laughs> so the, what, what I really had to do was I needed to sit down and take meetings one at a time with friends of mine. And thankfully I had some friends who were in banking, um, you know, from my earlier part of my career. And so. Okay. Thanks, Siri. Um, so I, I had to, I, I said, I basically set about just looking on LinkedIn and seeing who I knew that was in the industry 
and setting up like coffee chats and drinks with them and um, got to the point where I started to piece together a way that I could make this work. Um, and the, you know, the original idea was to make it not a debit card or a credit card to just make it like a new type of card. That's um, just unheard of. That's so, so great. Um, but it turns out that the, the regulatory frameworks are still pretty rigid. Um, and so under the surface, um, you know, to get to what zero actually is, it is banking reimagined from a consumer perspective, the way we make it work. And we provide this magical experience is by holding your money in a checking account and giving you a, a card to spend, which in many cases is a credit card. And that's, what's able to earn these great rewards, uh, that come from merchant processing costs. And the checking account is able to earn a great return for you. And together you see a net balance, which is like what your checking balance would be after you auto paid your credit card, essentially. Um, and so you know where you stand at all times and you have one number to spend from. It's very simple. Um, but it, it takes on through the software layer that we've made in the mobile app. It takes on this magical quality of sort of being a debit card like experience, but it's still under the surface, a credit card. And, and that's how it can earn the great cash back. Um, before that, people had to make a trade off between do I want that one number simplicity, you know, stay out of debt or do I want rewards? Because debit cards just legally don't earn enough um, of, of a, a merchant processing fee in order to make it viable for banks to pay rewards, especially large banks. And so um, with Zero, we use a software layer to sort of solve that problem for the first time and give people the experience that I think many of us would have always wanted if we were able to de design the banking system, you know, in our own image. Right. I mean, because the way you're talking about it and the way that I do it, you do it, I use my credit card like a debit card. We pay it off every single month. I'm not really yeah, carrying, exactly. a, carrying a balance here. But yeah, you're right. I want the... 4X on this and 3X on that. I've got my one I use for gas and the one I use for groceries. And it's like, why? Exactly. And I never like points either. I mean, points, I know, you know, there's a lot of people that love points and, and they are nice sometimes. But the thing about points that always irked me was they could devalue them at any time because it wasn't tied to a real percentage or to real uh, cash. And you know, I had Starwood hotel points cause I was traveling and I was a, you know, real estate guy. And at the time I remember you could get a major hotel in a downtown area, like maybe a Weston or something for like 10,000 points a night. Um, and now it's like 50,000 or something. They devalued them just a little bit each year. It's kind of sneaky. And I know Marriott and the whole, you know, acquisition, they changed, changed it up, but Essentially, with any companies that give points, whether it's airline miles, which is effectively points, or um, you know credit card points, you've got to be really careful because they will devalue them. And, and, and also, you've got to redeem them, which takes extra work, and half of all credit card points are never redeemed. So I, I always wanted to stick with cash back for zero, and I think that that's the most transparent uh, and people know what they're getting when they, when they cash get back. the way to go. I mean, I just get the redeemer for the cards that are like for gas or something like shit that like is like cash. I'm going to have to spend. Um, so that's a, you're right. That's a much, much better way to do it. So Bryce, I want to get into like actually starting this because this isn't like starting a bank and a reimagined debit and credit card. It's not just like building some simple consumer app where like 
you raise some money from your parents and like build this in your garage. Like this is <laughs> yeah. uh, this is a little more involved, right? So like, is it like when, how does the idea progress? When do you start to get a team? When do you raise money? Like how does it, how does it go? Yeah. So um, the idea of creating a credit card that worked like a debit card was compelling to many people I talked to. I figured out, you know, how to make it work with the software layer and with the two accounts behind the scenes. And so I needed to get um, those accounts launched. Now, to provide a checking account, you need to have, um, you know, uh, FDIC insurance, at least to be credible in, in the U.S. And that requires a bank charter to issue a credit card um, on MasterCard or Visa or any of the major credit networks. Um, you've got to have a, a bank charter as well in order to become a member of one of these uh, these associations. And so essentially my option was get a bank charter or, you know, partner with a bank. I looked into getting a bank charter, but, um, as you, you probably well know, that's a very challenging process. It takes years. You've got to raise lots and lots of capital. And even then, um, it's really uh, unclear whether or not you could do it. Um, maybe someone with a lifetime of banking experience and just mountains of cash, and a huge executive team uh, with them also experienced could could go down that path, but it just didn't seem viable for you know a product guy like myself, um, you know, starting with with very little to to actually do that. So I uh, had to go find a bank partner, and um, that was a heck of a process. It took me um, you know over a year to to do, um, and I, I started out just going you know one bank at a time. Um, there was a point when I was just cold emailing banks, uh, <laughs> saying, Hey, you know, I've got this idea. Do you want to work with me? And most of the time they just didn't respond. Um, but the more conversations you have, you start to hear little bits and pieces like, Oh, you know, we don't do that, but the bank down the street does. Um, and so you should talk to them. And, um, it, it was, it was a long road. Yeah. I mean, banks don't really want to work with startups either. They're like, exactly. do you have 100,000 users yet? Okay, well, let's, let's <laughs> exactly. talk when you have 100,000 users. Yeah. You're like, well, I've got this great idea. And like, okay, well, go do it. And you're like, but I need a bank to do it. So it's like this chicken and egg. The way that you, you know I solved that was really by making small incremental pro progress. And it may seem trivial um, to someone who's starting a company to say, get an office, right? So, like, oh, well, I could work out of Starbucks or out of my mom's basement. But when you have an office, then you have the meeting with that bank person and they come in they're like, oh, this is legit. You know, it seems like a company, it's got an office. And maybe that one thing doesn't, doesn't really matter. But when you have an office and then you have um, a couple of other credible folks there with you who on their resume worked at, you know, Capital One or Wells Fargo, uh, then you start to have something. You know, you put their, their photos in your slide deck with their bios and um, it's like, one little incremental step forward on you know every facet of the business, um, and then you get to a point where you actually look back and and you've you've built something. So you just have to keep pushing yourself forward. Sometimes you have to take two steps forward and one step back um, because uh, you know not everything pans out. But that's really required in order to finally get the attention of these types of partnerships or, that you need in order to. Um, build product in the fintech space. Yeah, so you've got this like revolutionary idea. You're talking with, with lots and lots of banks. Um, it all seems like it's uh, it's uh, it's going pretty well. But you know, still in fintech, like Robinhood, for example, like 
they launched with a video, not with a product, because Robinhood products, cool, probably you know, cost them tens of millions of dollars to build, right? So it's right. like there's this, I don't know, decision of like, should I just my idea is so revolutionary and cool, should I just go sell that, or should I actually build the thing and like get users and then go sell that? So like, which which kind of path did you did you go down? Well, you see a lot of wait lists nowadays, um, and and I think that's because in the you know years like maybe um, five ten years ago, there were enough new ideas to put onto say mobile that you could just do it and, and, um, you know, kind of bootstrap your way. But now a lot of the ideas take more startup capital and the bar is higher for product, for design, for polish, for, you know, performance. Yeah. People compare your startup to Instagram. Exactly. They're like, Hey, you know, when I, you know, open Instagram or open Uber, it loads instantly and it does all kinds of magical things for me and yours should too, right? Um, and so people expect so much. You've got to raise millions really and start a startup now. If you raise, you know, anything less than, you know, a few million, especially in the fintech space in a seed round, um, it, it's going to be a, a, a real challenge for you. And so in order to do that, and get an investor, a seed investor to, um, you know, take you seriously, you have to show something. And unless you're a real uh, celebrity type founder, which I was not, um, who's had several big successes or at least one big success before, you've got to show some traction. Um, and typically a wait list is a, is a fair way of doing that. Um, and so I've seen all kinds of ways. I kind of get sick of them now, you know, every time I, um, you know, turn around, I see another wait list for something, but you know, you got to give credit to those entrepreneurs who are being scrappy and who are trying to show that there is demand out there for what they're trying to build. Yeah. Okay. So the, that wait list strategy, it makes a lot of sense. So that's what, that's what you did. That's what we did. And did it work? Like, I mean, I, I know that it did work, but, but tell it, tell, tell our, yeah, our, so it worked great. Um, and it was, it was key to really showing that people were interested in the product. Um, you know, I think the one of the trade-offs and of the wait list one of the, the downsides is that you don't have a product yet to deliver to people and that was ta- that was tough for us cuz we wanted to um you know as soon as we saw the first sign up we wanted to say hey you know come apply here you go let's do it um in the banking space it's challenging uh, even more challenging than than other spaces because it's a highly regulated industry and you you certainly you know wouldn't want to, but you, you, you can't advertise something that you don't have to deliver. Um, so it's nuanced and it's, it's a careful line that you've got to walk in terms of how you, um, present the you know, option to join the wait list. Um, it, it took us a while to build the product as well, because to jump through all of the regulatory hoops that you need to jump through, um, it, you've got to hire the right compliance and credit and, um, operational people who, um, can comply with the necessary regulations. You know, we've got card, the card act, reg Z, um, you know, ECOA, the truth and lending act, the truth and savings. Act. I mean, I could go on and on. And, um, they're all very important pieces of legislation and they govern the way the banking industry works. So to do that just took time. It took us years to build the product and all along the way people were, Hey, you know, what's going on? Why can't I get a card yet? Like some people actually thought that they were um, like already going to get a card just from putting their email on the wait list. 
not many, but you know, a few people would. And so you get these comments, negative comments online. Um, and we, we just had to kind of weather that out. And um, we couldn't really say all that much either because we couldn't um, know exactly when we were gonna be ready with our final bank partner approvals to launch. Uh, and so you can't say, oh, it's just gonna be like, you know, two more months um, when it might be four or six more months. Um, and, you know, you don't wanna make um, the, the wrong uh, promises to your, to your audience. So we had to get through that phase and, um, it was a little tough, you know, because some people gave us negative comments, but we, we did. And I think overwhelmingly by the time we did launch, um, there were, you know, a few, few people griping, but most people said, Hey, you know, this was well worth the wait. And, um, we see now, now it makes sense, you know, what you were doing all this time and, you know, building this product. And, um, it was, it was well worth waiting for. Yeah. And was there thought of like, we're going to go out there and put this revolutionary idea out there with, without having a product. Are we like worried that someone else is going to like see this year wait list and like try to copy this? Absolutely. That was a, that was a real concern. Um, and I think that that was a concern at multiple points, you know, just being a, you know, relatively new entrepreneur. I, I thought even from the first time that I talked to an investor, I'm like, Oh no, like what if they go steal this idea and they've got all this money and all this skill, what it, you know, they're going to just copy me. Um, but you have to get over that. And I think, you know, when I talk to early entrepreneurs who also have ideas, um, they have that same fear sometimes. And it's like, they don't even want to tell me, uh, unless, you know, I'm a very good friend that they'll, they'll even be guarded about it. And it's like, look, you know, I'm doing my own thing. Everyone's got their own life. They've got their own, you know, skill set and, and, um, plans. And the chances that somebody is going to literally copy your idea, uh, it's just incredibly small. And the benefits of you talking to that person, um, especially if they're someone that's well-connected or in the tech or venture community, the benefits are going to far outweigh the, um, you know, any, you know, very slim one-off chance that like somebody's slightly competitive to it. Um, so you just got to do that. You got to put yourself out there and, um, you know, see where it takes you because, um, you know, if you don't do that, then you, you can't do it alone. You're not going to just sit in a basement by yourself, coding something up for years and then, you know, unre un unveil it and, oh, it's Twitter and it goes viral and, and you're a hit. You've got to connect and you've got to, um, you know, work with the community in order to get a great product built. Yeah. I mean, I found that startups are just so incredibly difficult that, unless you have the crazy, crazy passion that you're the only person on earth that has that for, for solving this problem. Like, no, it, it could be the greatest idea ever. And no one's, no one's going to be able to just knock it off. It's just, it, it's just too difficult for, yeah, the, for the most part. Absolutely. Um, okay. So Bryce, two more questions. The first one's about advice. You're talking to your, your, your younger self. Uh, you're talking to someone, you know, trying to find their, their place in the world. They're still at Wells Fargo. Um, and like, you know, maybe it's not quite right for them. They, they like, startups and maybe they want to do something, do you tell them like, go get a bunch of experience and then do a startup, just try your startup right now, like go to business school. What do you think is like the a piece of advice that, that you could give someone like that? Well, I didn't go to business school myself, so um, I can't really comment on that. I think there are some people for whom business school is valuable. Um, my co-founder, Joel Washington, he went to business school at Stanford. Um, he, he's, uh, you know, he had a great experience there, but um, I think 
the best experience is to work at a successful tech or product oriented company. Um, you know, Wall Street consulting, it, it's still valuable, I think, um, for sure. And if you're, if you're doing that, then, um, you know, hats off to you. You're, I'm sure learning, learning plenty, but working at, uh, you know, we have a guy, our, our chief marketing officer um, was at Capital One, uh, the head of their performance marketing group. Before that, he worked at Living Social, right? So pretty successful, not, you know, um, you know, Uber, right? But still a, a, a you know, a startup that did um, big things in its day. And he kind of earned his stripes there and saw how to think um, in, you know, product and, and uh, you know, iterative mindset. Doing something like that, I think, is the best you can do. You know, today, maybe be um, a company like, uh, you know, a Slack or, uh, you know, Robinhood or Zero, um, where you could learn that and get that experience and then go out and start something on your own. Um, and you're going to build your resume, you're going to build your your skill set um, in sort of a best of both worlds between having the learnings of a big company with a with the established culture and um, with, you know, smart people who have kind of been down the path before you, but also that entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah. Yeah. No, if I, if I got to start over, I would do a, what you're saying. I would go work for a well-funded startup before I did my own startup. Starting your own thing right out of the gate is just, I mean, it worked for Mark Zuckerberg, but I think it's too rare. And especially now that the bar is higher, as we mentioned before, um, it's just unlikely to succeed. And I think for every one success story you have coming out of a dorm room, you probably have hundreds of not success stories. And um, so I think don't go the big, big, big company route and just, you know, grind away trying to climb the corporate ladder um, in some, you know, corporate campus somewhere, but go kind of middle of the road and, and get aggressive and, you know, negotiate a good salary and equity package and kind of surround yourself by smart people and tackle big problems and work really, really hard too. Um, the other, you know, I'm kind of just, um, rambling now, but another thing that I see with, um, new folks starting on their career is like, there's so many, um, distractions nowadays, um, that you can pursue and, you know, you can have a great social life and go to music festivals and be like a nice, you know, millennial Gen Z living this great life, kind of traveling, whatever. And all that stuff's a lot of fun, but you have to buckle down and work hard and really put in the time to really, truly get the most out of, um, you know, an early role in your career and sort of set the trajectory that you're a real hardworking person that's, um, you know, going to get well uh, referred by your your peers and your colleagues. Um, and, and that's how you get the most out of a role and really um, set yourself up for success. I love it, Bryce. Last question here. I always talk about providing value. Don't just like go out there and say, give me this, can I have that? Find a way to provide value. So how can the listeners of this podcast provide value to you, to zero, anything? Yeah, I think um, providing value is about um, being able to straddle the line between hard work and thoughtful insight. If you're somebody who can look at the data and um, you know look at the world around you and make great insights, um, but then you just don't have the wherewithal or um, follow through to actually act on them, 
then you're going to be, you know, interesting academic or blogger maybe. Um, but you're never going to really put them into action and start uh, generating value or start a startup or, you know, build a product or, or, or whatever that, that's um, impactful. If you're somebody that um, just works really hard and kind of grinds and hustles and, and will just run towards anything, then that could be useful in some contexts. But um, a lot of times you'll just waste your time um, running in the wrong direction. So I think it's the ability to kind of know, um, you know, when to put in the work and when to stay up all night crunching the data um, because you're really onto something, but also, um, you know, when to shift focus and look somewhere else. If you can pivot back and forth and have both aspects of, of, of that in your personality, I think you could be unstoppable. Because a lot of people I see are either one or the other. And um, ultimately, those folks, you know, they, they, they can never seem to stand on their own and really lead great endeavors because they're always um, reliant on other people or they always have some excuse like, oh, yeah, well, this could work if I just had the horsepower to do it, um, vice versa. So I think that finding that balance for yourself in your career will make you uh, a rock star. Cool. Well, Bryce, I mean, I'll let you leave it with the last word about how people can find zero and and uh, and get signed up on the wait list. There's still a wait list, right? And then um, we'll uh, we'll wrap it up. But this was great speaking with you. Thanks a lot, Alex. I had a lot of fun. Good talking to you too. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening today. If you like moving up, the best way you can support us is by telling your friends, helping us grow, and leave a review on iTunes. Thanks. 